Deadbeat Scroll by Mark Coggins is slick, sardonic, and suspenseful. Everything a great thriller should be, says New York Times bestselling author Lee Child. Find it in ebook or trade paperback wherever books are sold. In this podcast, it's read by author Mark Coggins. Learn more about Mark and his other novels at markcoggins.com. Chapter 8 Prison Couture When she answered the door to her hotel room later that afternoon, Angelina Evangelista was wearing stripes. Jailbird stripes, like the man on Monopoly's get-out-of-jail-free card. Only her garment was a dress, and it was short. Very short. She'd accessorized with a belt slung low on her hips that served no real purpose, except to emphasize the shortness of the dress and telegraph an insolent sexuality. Black stockings and a crazy pair of knee-high Chuck Taylors with laces three yards long completed the ensemble. She was staying at the venerable Huntington Hotel on California Street, and after a considerable amount of temporizing on my part, I had made an appointment to meet her there to give her a progress report on the case. The progress being anything but that, of course. The high-wattage smile on her face dimmed as she noticed the red leather bag clutched under my arm. Is that a man purse? Uh, no, not my thing. Looks like Gucci. I'll have to take your word for that. Trust me, it is. Expensive, too. Come in and pull up a chair. I took a chair from the black lacquer desk along the near wall, and since there was nowhere else to sit, Angelina plopped herself on the corner of the overstuffed bed. She turned her knees to one side and tugged at her skirt with both hands. It didn't make any discernible progress down her legs. I had the feeling she'd dressed in a way she'd hoped I'd find attractive, but realized too late that the meeting wasn't going to be a social occasion. Is it my sister's? she asked. Pretty obvious, huh? She gave a small shrug. If it's not yours, why else would you have brought it? I'm 99% certain it's hers. I unsnapped the clasp and extracted the driver's license I had examined earlier. I stood and handed it to her. Then, feeling uncomfortable hovering over her, I returned to the chair. She looked at the photo for a long moment, nodding her head slightly at first, then with more emphasis. Definitely. She looks older, of course, but it's definitely her. Besides, it's got her name on it, including the E for Evangelista. Why the uncertainty? Were you worried someone stole her identity? Not really. I was just hoping... Hoping what? I hesitated, then spat it out. Look, it's like this. I found the purse next to a body, the body of a dead woman. Angelina's eyes flashed, and her voice lost its usual teasing lilt. Did the woman look like this picture? I cleared my throat and leaned forward to rest my elbows on my knees. I can't be sure. The body was badly decomposed. Jesus! 
But I found it at the address on the license. The house is empty. It's being renovated. The body was on the second floor, and it was clear it had been there a while. Two weeks at least. Angelina closed her eyes as if she were bracing for a physical jolt or shock, then fell back on the bed. I jumped up, thinking she had fainted or worse. I sat beside her and reached to take her pulse, but I realized that unless it was missing entirely, I wouldn't learn anything from it. I settled for placing my hand on her forehead, which was pale and cool to the touch. Are you okay? Define okay, she said, as tears leaked from the corners of her eyes. Are you physically okay? I didn't pass out, if that's what you're worried about. What did you do after you found her? What do you mean? You didn't just leave her there, did you? I pulled my hand away from her forehead, but she clasped it to her midsection. I phoned the police. I didn't want them to be the ones to tell you, so I called from a payphone without giving my name. They'll have picked up the body and taken it to the morgue by now. We'll need to go down and make a formal identification. She turned her head away from me in the bad news. Tears rolled off the bridge of her nose to the bedspread, staining the white material with bits of mascara. Will you be in trouble? She asked after a long moment. For calling it in anonymously? A little, maybe. But Kittredge, the police lieutenant investigating Chris's murder, will probably settle for a dressing down if we go in soon. Angelina sniffed and squinched her eyes tighter. You think she was murdered? Like Chris? The last thing I wanted to get into was an extended discussion of the condition of her sister's body. I didn't see any obvious wounds. It could have been a heart attack or even an accident. The house is pretty torn up, and the footing is treacherous in places. Maybe she tripped going up the stairs. But you don't think so? No, not really. It seems like too much of a coincidence. From what I've learned by retracing Chris's steps, I wouldn't be surprised if he also discovered her address, perhaps even found her body as well. I think their deaths are linked. The autopsy could tell us more. She sniffed again and released my hand to push herself up. Oh, yes, the autopsy, she said, wiping her tears away. I rolled over on my hip to extract a fresh handkerchief. I had already dropped the one I had used at the Russell Street house and all the clothes I'd worn there at the cleaners on the first floor of my building. Here, I said, try this. She gave a wan smile and took the handkerchief, dabbing at her eyes and nose. Who carries a handkerchief these days? Older men without man purses. I knew you guys were good for something. I nodded, ready to sop up tears or mucus at a moment's notice. Hold me. What? I have something to ask, and I can't look at you while I do it. I frowned, then leaned over to take her in an awkward side-by-side hug. She felt tiny, delicate, but I also noticed a stiffness from some sort of elaborate undergarment beneath her clothes. How's this? I said to the far wall. It's nice. Tell me the truth. Am I to blame for Chris's death? I started to pull away, 
but she tensed and pulled me closer. Be honest. No, there's no way you could have known. In fact, we don't know for certain that there is a connection. It's just a gut feeling. You're not just saying what I want to hear. You and Gretchen won't secretly blame me later. We've all lost someone close to us. There's no point in blaming one another. We need to find the people who are actually responsible. A beat went by. Thank you. Don't thank me. There's nothing to thank me for. I gave her a little squeeze. Can we break the clinch now? She nodded and released me. She looked down in her lap as she wound the cloth of the handkerchief around a finger. With nearly all of the garish eye makeup rubbed off, she looked childlike and innocent. Strangely, or maybe not so strangely, I found myself drawn to her more when she wasn't trying so hard. What do we do next? She asked. Well, we need to go down to the station. But after, I want to find the people responsible too, but there doesn't seem to be anything to go on. There may be. I found a key ring in your sister's purse. It has an obvious car key, but a couple of keys look like door keys. Your sister had to live somewhere while she renovated the house. I'm thinking the door keys go to an apartment or a house she was renting. Where? I don't know. But her neighbors on Russell Street might. Hmm. So your idea is to withhold the information about the keys from the police and search her rental before they find out about it. Isn't that going to get you in even more hot water? Not if they don't know. I've already removed the keys from her bag. But speaking of the police... Yes, yes, we need to go down to the station. Just give me a moment to fix my face. I reached over to take her hand. Don't. Go as you are. We took a cab from the Huntington to the new San Francisco police headquarters in the Mission Bay neighborhood. I foolishly called Kittredge to tell him we were coming, wanting both to confirm that he was available and defuse the impact of an in-person bombshell. It was a big mistake. It only gave him more time to research the 911 call and the Associated Police report and find more reasons to yell at me. Two things particularly stuck in his craw, that I discovered who Chris's last client was without informing him, something he had specifically cautioned me against, and that I'd removed the purse from the house on Russell Street. He separated Angelina and me early on, and I ended up cooling my heels in an interrogation room while he confirmed my version of the story. After I stared at the walls for nearly two hours wondering if I was going to be locked up, Kittredge barged in, shooting his French cuffs and wafting a citrusy cologne that made me want to gag. He was dressed, as he often was, in an expensive suit. Nobody wears suits these days, I taunted, channeling Ivy. Oh, yeah? Then what were you wearing the night I dragged your drunken ass down to the massage parlor? Sure looked like a number off the Kmart rack to me. Not everyone can afford the Trump signature collection. Fuck you. This is Briani. I can never tell them apart. Kitchard stepped forward gripping the back of the chair across the table like he wanted to grab my throat. Cut the crap, Reardon. 
I'm going to give you one last warning. You find out anything else relevant to this investigation, you let me know immediately. Or, or the state is going to be picking out your suits, and you know what color they'll be, orange. I waved him off, trying not to think about the keys I'd taken from Corinne White's purse. Did you find out what Duckworth was doing at the massage parlor? Were you not listening? We were talking about you keeping me informed. The question stands. Kittredge ran his hand through his hair and muttered under his breath. He didn't go there during business hours. No one on his staff claims to recognize him, and there's no record of him or anyone like him booking an appointment. How did he get inside? If I had to guess, I'd say a rogue employee let him in after hours. Which begs the obvious question, who has keys to the place? Kittredge reddened. Only the manager and the janitor. The janitor from El Salvador with a limited command of English who discovered and reported the body? Yes, damn it. Then either he's a criminal mastermind or it sounds like you should be talking to the manager. We did, you moron. She has a solid alibi for the evening and had possession of the keys the whole time. But it's possible duplicates were made without her knowledge. What do her friends from Wohop Toe have to say? Congratulations. You learn the place has gang connections. They would be the last people to bring this kind of attention to their business. If Wohop Toe had murdered Duckworth, they would have dumped his body in the bay. He had a point. Okay, thank you. I appreciate it. One last question. Do you have the final autopsy results on Chris? I gave Sabatini most everything we learned. Most everything? Kittred sighed. We identified the slug. It's a twenty-two long rifle, probably shot from a handgun. You mean one of those target pistols? Yeah, they can tell from the marks the barrel rifling makes. Who uses a target pistol to kill somebody? I don't know. They got no stopping power, it's true. But put around in the back of the head, and the slug will ricochet around inside the skull. It can do a hell of a lot of damage. Christ. I watched as Kittred slipped a finger under his collar and tugged. The knot of his already loose tie loosened more. There's something you're not telling me. He glanced beseechingly at the ceiling, then leveled a hard stare at me. You probably didn't spend enough quality time with her to notice, but there was also a hole in the base of Corrine White's skull. It looks like it's from a twenty-two. When they recover the slug in the autopsy, they can check to see if the rifling matches. It was the same shooter? Yes, probably. Now you've wrung me dry. Get the hell out of here and remember what I said about keeping me informed. Your jailbait girlfriend is waiting in the lobby. She's over twenty-one and she's not my girlfriend, I said but he had already turned away. I found Angelina lying on a vinyl couch in front of a plaque listing police officers who had died in the line of duty. It was clear she had been crying again, and she looked tired and dispirited. Oh, August, 
she said, and stood to wrap me in a hug. I found myself hugging her back with more ardor than I had intended. They didn't. I hesitated, then changed gears. How are you holding up? She knew what I had started to ask. No, they didn't make me look at the body. They said they could use dental records. When are they? I don't want to talk anymore, August. Please take me home. We cabbed it back to the Huntington. I planned to say goodbye in the lobby, but she pulled me wordlessly into the elevator. I didn't leave until the next morning. You have been listening to The Deadbeat Scroll, a book the New York Journal of Books described as a glorious potpourri of violence, black humor, sex, and a hunt for a lost manuscript. Find it in ebook or trade paperback wherever books are sold. In this podcast, it's read by author Mark Coggins. Learn more about Mark and his other novels at markcoggins.com.